Welcome to Reflections from the Dub Sea. We are four friends who met during our undergrad years at the Women's Center, aka the Dub Sea. We came back together to discuss the experiences of women of color looking for a community after college. My name is Ari. My name is Rehana. My name is Raven. And my name is Sophie. So for today's check-in question, I since we're talking about the beginning of college or college, what was your major in college? Who wants to start? I was a sociology major. Uh, graduated in three and a half years, like a champ. <laughs> Whatever. Shout out to AP classes. <laughs> okay. Thank you for showing off. Anytime. Do you have a minor? What? Do you have a minor? Uh, no, I didn't because I was scared to go talk to my counselor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think the women's studies major with a double minor in social and ethnic studies. Can you repeat your major? I didn't hear it. Women's studies. Oh, yes. Yay, women. Woo. Woo. I meant that, not sarcastically. Of course. If only it would have got me a job. Right. Well, you know, we can only have so much in life. Right. <laughs> a degree without a job. Exactly. Um, this is Rehana, and my major was in political science with a minor in women's studies. And once again, this is Ari, and my major was in criminology and justice studies um, with a focus on specifically race. And gender. Perfect for this podcast. Yeah. yeah. I know. That's what she was planning for that whole time. What? For, she thought, for, she thought uh, long-term. A podcast. A very niche podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, what, how has that maybe helped you all after college, right? Having those degrees. Since there have been a few mentions of if it would just get you a job. So what, how are you all doing? I'm working as a social worker. I got my master's uh, in social work from USC. Um, and so now I work at a nonprofit and do therapy in schools as well as community work. Um, and my sociology degree, I mean, like it doesn't impact me directly, but certainly some of the things that I learned uh such as like, you know, um, community demographics and what um, that looks like have helped in terms of understanding the community that I live in and work in and how that impacts the students that I see. So paperwork wise, it hasn't done shit, but uh, realistically, <laughs> some of the things I've learned have applied to what I chose to do. Good for you. That's awesome. Yeah. Yay. Raven. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it hasn't done anything. It, it's interesting when you apply for jobs. It says must have a degree, but no one asked to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it hasn't really done much. And sadly, I didn't upkeep who I was in college with my degree and being an activist and being a feminist. Uh, I think it just got, it was like a slap in the face to go back into the real world after living in a bubble for three years. Um, so this came right on time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I'm sure like every other, well, not everyone, but a small majority of people going to college had a very unrealistic idea about what I was going to do with my degree after <laughs> I graduated. Um, I obviously, like I said, I majored in political science with the minor in women's studies because I really, really had a passion and wanted to work with nonprofits, um, especially overseas with women. Um, that went down the drink very, very quickly after I graduated. Um, but I now am not doing anything even remotely close to what I studied. Um, I work for a, a staffing agency for nurses and I work in their compliance department. So um, I'm just literally reviewing files all day. And I think that's where I started realizing that I miss the experiences and not so much from what I learned in my degree. Um, I miss the information and the community I found through the women's studies. Um, so, yeah, like Raven said, this is why I think I'm here. What Thank about you, Ari? Yeah. Um, so it it's kind of – it's a little complicated because I got my degree in criminology and justice. So to an extent, I am doing um, with it what – with it in the same field, right? So I do work out of the courthouse. I work with victims of domestic and sexual violence. Um, and they go through the court process for protective orders and some there with them. Um, is that something I wanted to do or I imagine doing with the degree? No. Is it something I want to do long-term? No, um, but it's been long-term. Um, so I'm just kind of at this point rethinking uh, – what is it, a graduate school or I don't know, or something, something else. But so to an extent, like I said, I am doing what I want to do. It's just also frustrating to be in the court system because you see the the everyday injustices and the everyday beliefs that the justice Mm -hmm. is just, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of seeing it in front of you, seeing that, um, yes, the majority of folks coming in are going to be black men, um, that are coming in for petty shit, like, you know, procession of marijuana. Um, so it's, it's been, it's not what I want to do because I, I think like Rehan, I had a passion and a motivation and it's to that degree with a focus on race, but it's not where I am right now, but you know, what there. was your Ari? Can I ask what your original plan was when you were in college? What did you want to do? Yeah, I want to, and I still do. I want to work with um, the uh, prison system, um, specifically. You know, ways to. I mean, if I'm realistic, ways to dismantle it, but really just mm-hmm. on. There's this belief, right, that there needs to be, as long as there's crime, there's going to be bodies that are being um, incarcerated. So it's if we if we believe that for now, um, just thinking it at that baseline without thinking anything more radical, if we keep it at that baseline. There, that means that people are going to continue to be incarcerated. We're going to continue to see the injustices. Uh, so it's more of working through policies and working through ways that we can um, get rid of certain things in the justice system, but also realize that there are folks that are going to be marginalized in the systems. Um, so specifically uh, queer folks, right, that are in the in the prison system. So I guess mostly like working with them or potentially um, if I get a PhD, just going back to the, the school system and teaching. So. Mm-hmm. Oh, Dr. Ari, 
I know. Same. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Love that. Yeah. yeah. So kind of with that, I know um, Rekana touched on it, but is there any specific reasons that were mentioned that you all uh, thought this was a good idea or why you're really interested and um, motivated to be a part of this? Uh, well, I had uh, gotten to hang out with Raven a few weeks ago in an event we did together. Um, and we just got to talking about, you know, what a great community we did have in college and the support system of being able to have, like, women of color talking circles and those types. And even just being in a space predominantly full of women and on top of that, women of color or at least having, you know, at least a few people always around that you could talk to about an experience that they would relate to on some level. Um, and not having that post-college and really struggling with like, how do, you know, how do we navigate kind of all the stuff that we go through when you don't really have anyone around you that you can talk to about that on a, on, in a real way. Um, and so when she mentioned doing this, it just seemed like a really cool way to kind of touch back on that a bit and, get back to that feeling of um, feeling like seen and heard and all that good stuff. For me, I think it was just the experience of being in the women's center. It was unique. It was different. It was, I feel like everyone was just themselves. Everyone was authentic. Um, We were pros at making people feel uncomfortable what we needed to be. And then we well, I went back into the real world and I became the one that was always uncomfortable. And then I became quiet and I became silent. Um, and doing the event with Sophie, it just made me realize like I miss the space I was yearning for. it, And it was just unreal. As we talked about it during that event, we left and a white woman just looked at Sophie and was like, Buenas noches out of nowhere. And I just, I laughed. But college me probably would have been like, bitch. Probably not bitch, but. (laughs) (laughs) But it was just like, why did you think that was okay? And the sad part is, is now me and Sophie would have turned around and said something. We would have been the ones in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's no, like, connection. There's no, no sense of like, oh, man, I was wrong for saying that to her on their part but on our part it was like it's uncomfortable like how could you do that when we're at a women's history event and think that was okay but if we pop off it's like okay this could end real bad real quick mm-hmm. but in college I don't think I gave a shit I probably just would have yeah. fuck you yeah yeah that sounds about correct for college raven yeah, it, right. You know, when the koala came out, it was kind of like a fuck you. I don't give a shit. Oh yeah. God, you think he's still incarcerated? We should look him up. I hope so. I feel like he got ten years. Has it been ten years? It hasn't. Seven. Wait, who? Oh. The the koala creator. Correct. What was her name? So, so the koala. I forget what the second part of it, but it was it was that sat, a supposedly satire newspaper that really just was homophobic, um, racist, sexist. I mean, anti any population that's not white, and cis and male. Um, but I don't know if you remember they would send out like um, one of them said ten ways to rape a woman and so forth and so. Oh on. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the the I remember yes. when that happened. Oh my gosh. And the school was like freedom of speech. Yes. Mm-hmm. And didn't it actually originate from SDSU? Yes. It did. Okay. My yes. memory is great, guys. Look, I just remember You're killing that. it out here. <laughs> Remembering shit. Love that. I remember uh, though when that happened. Yes. And what we hold on. I forgot about him getting incarcerated though. What did he actually get go to jail for? For buying the equipment to steal the identity of students to rig the student body elections. Oh, yeah, when he used the library to <laughs> and, like use his dad's credit card like a grade A dumbass. Yes, yes. yes got it off of Amazon and brought it and then- <laughs> like on his dad's account probably. Yes. I remember that. Yes, yes, yes. And you remember that um what was she? Was she like the VP of the student body or whatever? She goes, the numbers are too high for this election. Only about six. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vote. Like way more people. Yeah. He was like voting for people that. Yeah, exactly. That was so funny. <laughs> he was voting for the koala <laughs> people like, to be many, all on the student body. Too many people are participating. This is wrong. <laughs> oh, God. That's hilarious. I'm sure he's too out. Many. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> White dude. I'm sure his dad paid someone very nicely for him to be out. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That's the stupid privilege he had. Like, who thinks of that? Yeah. yeah. That's a wild plan for a school election with, like, a very small stipend. <laughs> when you have a rich dad. That doesn't make sense. No. Like, you ordered FBI equipment. Your dad's buying you shit on Amazon, but you want a student government stipend? Sir. <laughs> How much was the stipend? I don't even know. I think it was, like, 2000. I don't think it was, like... A lot. No, I think it might have even been under two thousand. It had to have been. Yeah, it's not that much money. Is it just like a little scholarship? Wrote like just like a little something. <laughs> it could right. have been two thousand because the the center's budget wasn't that much. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Paycheck. You know what? The best thing is the women's center was like probably like. The lowest I ever got paid, but that was the best job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. I agree. And-, and I spent all my free time at work. Not a lot of people could say that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but going back to, so we totally sidetracked, but going back to um, talking oh, about the question. Why, yeah, the question of why we decided to do this, I wanted to touch on that, that um, – why I personally want to do that. And I did say earlier that I was, I've been, you know, I've been needing that experience again. I've been needing that sisterhood. I've been needing that safe space um, because it's, it's, you know, reality is we were definitely blessed with a gem of a little circle, you know, no matter Mm -hmm. how small it was, regardless if we had little phonies in there or not. But um, we, I think also the idea that, you know, we were different people then like, Raven said, and maybe we would have reacted differently, but that's because we had this, like, I I want, I want to use the word utopian, like circle and that Mm -hmm. everything was okay because we were all on the same page and that Mm -hmm. we say what we can. And we had that space. And, you know, even though now we're seeing people say things or seeing things happen in public and we don't, I want to say for myself, don't have the courage to say something or don't have that same, um, push or that drive to say something or do something but it's because I I mean I think we also struggled that with even when we were in the women's center I don't think that we were naive to it I think we also knew that 
the outside world or on campus, even like we just mentioned the koala, right? Like Mm -hmm. stuff was still happening. Things were happening, but we had this reassurance or this little small world where we felt safe that we could go back to. And now that's gone. You know, we don't, at least for me, I don't have that. So it is really just, it's just a memory now of the women's center and that feeling of being such a strong feminist. And I could sit here at home and read things and be like, what the hell? Like, Oh hell no. Right. Like I would have said this, I would have said that, but when it actually happens, do I still have that drive or that courage anymore? No, because I don't have that support circle, like that support and that sisterhood anymore. Um, so I think that's why I, as soon as Raven texted me about this, I was like, I'm all in. I've been searching for this. I've attempted, <laughs> which I shared with you all earlier. I've attempted to, you know, join women's network circles and they are just not at all what we were blessed to have. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So Ari, why did you decide to do this? Yeah, I mean, I think Rayhana and well, all of you actually um, talked a lot about it and it's similar. So I, you know, I'm actually in the Washington, D.C., Arlington area. And you would think living so close to D.C., there'd be so much uh, communities, right? And a lot of folks to have those conversations with and go to rallies and do this and do that. But I think a lot of it, the folks that are living here, um, it, you know, it tends to be the people that are with precedent, with every precedent election, if there's a change of precedent, the people are different, right? If they're not consistent because they're bringing in their own employees, so they're going to be a little bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. Um, so it kind of feels a lot like white feminism in those spaces. It's just, it hasn't been something that I've really been comfortable in attending. So, so it was that, that I, I miss that, um, that sisterhood for sure. And I also miss having those conversations because I think a lot of the time people, you know, like, well, you're, you're too radical for any of us, right? You're too radical. You're living in this like unrealistic world. You're never going to achieve, uh, you know, peace or whatever, but we, we have, right. We found peace within each other. We found peace within our space. And so I just, I just really kind of need that back as well to, to find some sort of drive and, um, and just realize that, you know, cause life so quickly and it's just like, well, what, what am I doing? What am I leaving behind? Like, what is my purpose? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Right? <laughs> I know. I'm not I mean, like, <laughs> everything about the dub C. Like we weren't always so serious, but like at least when you stepped in, you could say whatever you wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends on who you were. Let, let me clear it up. Because people who didn't understand the dub C would come in and say whatever they wanted to say and got chewed out mm-hmm. real quick. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But <laughs> if you were part of the community, if you felt the love, if you understood feminism and just being with a community that loved you from the start, you could come in and say whatever you wanted. Like, I remember, Sophie, did I tell, was it you I told that I, like, I specifically remember sitting there talking to Rayana and someone goes, Raven, do you masturbate? <laughs> and I answered it. <laughs> but I can't, I can't go anywhere and be like, hey, do you masturbate? <laughs> that is uh-huh. correct. You cannot. <laughs> you can't. It's like, oh, 
<laughs> but the one sitter, it was like, you could say whatever it is you wanted to say. You could say, like, I remember just different stuff, you know, just seeing babies. Ashley had Andrea, and now she's got three babies. So crazy. Yeah. You see oh, relationships. Yeah. You've seen uh, Jenna Lee got married. Yeah. Uh, Leia had Willow. Like, it's all over the place, but at least we have that one space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could had, definitely vouch. When we went to class, we had each other. Yeah. I think it was... It, I, I don't know how else to describe it, and I'm obviously only talking from my own experience, but I saw that place, that little, you know, room, whatever you want to call it, whether it was just Leia's office or if it was you know, by the desk where me and Raven would sit, I learned so much. And I mean that on a huge scale, like you, like, <laughs> like Raven said, I learned about things I didn't want to learn about. Right. <laughs> I about, like I, I just, I learned about myself and I learned about feminism and I learned about women and I learned about, like, it was for me just personally, I miss that. I miss learning from people and being around people and just having my mind blown all the time, you know, and not having to explain constantly, right? You're, you're in that safe space where like Raven said, you can walk in and it wasn't, where are you from? What are you? Why, you know, like it was just a, you know what? I'm not going to even ask you. I'm just going to talk to you and I'm going to learn about exactly who you are. I'm not going to prejudge you. Um, and at that time, if you all remember, like, just being a Muslim woman, I wore a headscarf for, you know, several years. And that was a struggle in itself. And was it years? I thought it was a year. No, I think it was two years. About a good yeah. two years. Yeah, it was the last the last two years of um, college. Um, okay. A total of four years. And then I, you know, took it off for personal reasons. But um, I just remember like going in there afraid when I first started wearing it. And I, I don't know if, if Raven remembers that, but I, I, I felt like I had to preface it. Like, okay, y'all, like I'm going to come in with that scarf. Please don't, you know, like freak out on me and don't everyone was, I felt so safe going in there and I, no one asked me any questions. It was just, they saw me as Rayhana. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Can I say something about that once you're done? Yeah, go for it. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, Wait, no. I was going to say, I actually, I know this came a little bit right when I met you. So I think that's when you started wearing your um, your headscarf. But I remember the transition. I do remember that because I remember during the interview, you didn't have one. And then during um, my hire, when I started, you did. Mm-hmm. And I just, it felt like being going in there and realizing that that was the same person just it felt so comfortable because I realized that you it must be so empowering to be in this space that this woman um now decided you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna embrace at that moment and do this Mm -hmm. what I want to do and there was no judgment and you still felt safe being there so at that moment did I realize oh yeah this is a community yeah, absolutely. And, and a lot of people, especially at that time in my life, and I'm sure some of you can think of what I'm talking about, but a lot of people thought that the Women's Center was going to influence me in the, the worst ways, right? They thought that everything in there was just wrong or, or you know, that outside force. And in all honesty, honesty, like you said, Ari, I think I, I decided to do that because I gained that confidence through all, everyone that was around me in the Women's Center. Like, 
it gave me that confidence to own my identity, own my own passion for my religion, right? Uh-huh. And I, I had this different this different drive, like I mentioned earlier. And I, I was like, you know what? Like I have a space that I can wear it and not feel judged and not be afraid, right? I was still afraid on the outside world, but I still had, again, that confidence. Um, and that, I think that's once that was all gone, you know, I don't want to necessarily blame it on like not working at the women's center. Of course, it was a personal choice and other reasons, but I just feel like I, I was a different person. And I think that's what me and Raven have always talked about that. I was just such a different person. And I may have been searching for myself at that time or, you know, still young, but I miss it. I miss a little bit of who I was at that time. And I don't know if any of you all could feel that if you feel that, or if you understand what that, what I mean by that, but yeah, I miss it. But if I could switch things around, I would switch the ending. Um, yeah. Don't know. I got fired um, for doing my job, sadly. Yeah. Um, but it was from a different director. Mm-hmm. Um, technically, it was HR. They didn't even come. But um, I miss who I was, but I miss mostly feeling empowered by all of y'all. So, like, before I met Ray Huhu, I didn't know much about the Muslim religion. Like, I'm not going to lie about it. And then here she comes. I don't like her to begin with. <laughs> Pause. Ray, who is uh, Raven's nickname for Rayana? <laughs> <laughs> like, I forgot. It was like, if you had a rapper name, what would it be? And we said Ray, who, who, and it just went really well in a cheer. <laughs> oh, Lord. But then it was like, you know, I saw her and she comes in and she's agreeing with everything I say. And I was like, I don't like her. Oh, God. And then it took, what was it, a cake I had to bake? And all of a sudden I was like, I like her. No, you still didn't like me. What it took was. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Was social Justice <laughs> Summit. Our first Social Justice Summit. First of all, you had me snotting at that summit. <laughs> and I think that was the most empowered I was by you. No, I take it back. It was the second one. The first one, we did an activity where you put all these like identities on the wall and everyone writes the stereotypes they've heard about it. So when Muslim goes up, it wasn't fun, right? Hannah starts crying. I start crying. I'm snotting. She's snotting. All of a sudden we're BFFs. The next year we do the same one and she had to read all the stereotypes for this identity that year. And to see her with her headscarf and be one of two and to do it so like eloquently it was just beautiful to see that and I think from that I drew like strength from you Sophie I drew sarcastic asshole ism from Sophie (laughs) you're welcome I love you like you can what people come in or they would come in and they would say something so stupid and you would sarcastically say something to educate them but if they didn't get it you just left it there I was like, this is so uncomfortable. I have to snore and laugh at the same time. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, it's not on me. It's on you. I had such an attitude. I love you, though. It was serious. I think I was one of those people that Sophie said those things, too, and it, like, went over my head. <laughs> I had you in my phone as hooked on phonics for the longest time. I forgot about that. Man, memory issues, <laughs> grammar. I'm not. Oh, my like- gosh. Woo. You scared me when I met you. I ain't even gonna lie. What? Then I drew like 
you just didn't care. You said what you felt and you owned it. And I was like, I need to be like her. Yes. Ari, you were very intimidating. I remember I always felt so like, damn, I need to be her. You, oh. you have a presence. You have a very strong, in a good way. And don't ever take that in the wrong way. You have no, super cool. Very, yeah. That's why I said you're a cool kid. Like you were the one <laughs> that I looked up to like, dang, Ari. Like she, she, if you need words, she can give you some words. Like for real, when you liked me, Ari, I was like, I made it in life. You're all going to make me cry. Oh, <laughs> I miss that. I miss all of that. And to see that, like, to draw from that and be a woman who I loved and then to leave and it just like disappears and then trying to find a sisterhood that matches it is just, it's it's un- yeah, I can't find it anywhere. I can't. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Which is why I think this is good because, um, I, you know, I, I think we all had, a unrealistic idea too, leaving, you know, thinking that we were going to find the same stuff. I think that's where like the sadness sets in that I never was able to find that, Um, which is so, that's what I'm saying, which is so good that we're doing this because what if there's, you know, other women who have gone through the same thing? Like there's always, it's always in college when you're able to find that sisterhood and maybe very few are blessed to um, still be able to, to have those connections. But think in the world we're in now it's just that's tough um especially because everyone's so far from each other you know so this whole virtual conversation is probably what we need i think it's great and can i just say for anyone that's listening that's in college enjoy it i remember the whole time thinking i want to get out of here and now that's like the one place i would want to go back to well the center is where I would want to go back. To. Yeah, I would want to go back knowing everything I know now. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely don't want to be that part. Like, yeah, I would want to go back knowing everything I know now for sure. Yeah, I yeah, would. I don't know if you all remember that I also worked at the Pride Center. Yes, yes. yes. I remember yeah. when you defected. Thank you, because it was it was a defect, complete um, defection, the betrayal. Carry on. I'm processing. <laughs> it was it was not a good experience compared to the women's center, right? It's it was just very different. And so the thing that you know always comes up for me personally is uh, my identity as a queer woman of color. It's always it felt especially during that time because there was the women's center and then right next door there was a pride center. And literally connected by a door, right? So it was <laughs> I'd have to kind of pick what identity I wanted that day. But at the Women's Center, any identity was accepted. Whereas at the Pride Center, I had to focus on my queer identity. And that meant um, keeping my mouth shut if there was any racism going on or any kind of sexism, especially sexism, because a ton of sexism at the Pride Center. Um, And so it's just, just goes to say that there may be other communities that you identify with as part of that community, but they don't necessarily hold that same safe space. Yeah. So it's, I've, I guess I've always felt safer in with my um, identity as a woman of color, because I, I find that community a little bit more accepting, not a little bit, way more accepting, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the queer community tends to, there still tends to be a lot of racism that is just blatant racism 
the Pride Center was trash. It was. It absolutely was. So can we just say that the director was a white man who believed he was a black man trapped in a white man's body? Black exactly. woman. A woman. A black woman. Oh, my gosh. What, wasn't he in charge of BSU when they ordered, like, fried chicken and shit for their mixer that they had? Why do you think I didn't go? Yeah. I remember walking by. He was like, come over. And I was like, I'm leaving. But thank you. I mean, he was just problematic in himself, so I... That was like, a top-down situation, for like, sure. Like, I feel for you, Art, because I could not imagine working for him. Technically, that's why I got fired. But it was just, like, it was too much going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was... It was a very uncomfortable space to be in the Pride Center. It was not a good time. No. And there was a lot of, like, forcing... um forced outing which is very interesting because one of i remember this one specific day that i was just like this place looks so fucking depressing so i wanted to open the windows and i remember open well the blinds i remember opening the blinds and um the the director right he comes and he's like what are you doing and i said what do you mean the the room could use some light and he says no people can't see who's in here because of safety and so forth and so i was like okay i get that but it's it's so weird because, however, once you came in, it was like, well, it's pretty much like, what are you? Like, yeah. who's team I was team? asked that several times in that space. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, by multiple people. So it was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, and it's and it's like you're. It's not even like a, you know, we're gonna wait months down the road and maybe you'll mention it. It's literally. No, it's like hour two. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can speak on your experience, though, because I'm sorry that that was your experience, but that's yeah. that was a real experience in that center. Yeah, they were like, what are you? And I was like, 18. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what your question is. I'm a, I'm a child. <laughs> Literally, right? I was like, I'm barely alive right now, my guy. I don't know what else to tell you about myself. I can't help you. Or you could just have a dopey with two eyes. Oh my gosh. It was that was too much information for them. Mm. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. I can say that some of the people who worked at the Pride Center were on point. Mm-hmm. That's why they came and hung out at the women's center when the door that connected both centers was open. Mm-hmm. However, you had snitches who were report back. That was so weird. That was such a weird time. <laughs> right, isn't it? Just It was like the it was like right now? the fucking Cold War. Like what? What do you all think would be I mean, if you were to go back now, what would be things that you wish that you saw as improvement whether it's in the Women's Center or the Pride Center? Like what what do you think would have helped like you you at that time? Like going back just thinking about how you felt at that time. Does that make sense? I just, yeah, it makes sense. Well, since you asked it, why don't you you answer first? Like what would have made it better? I think, I think obviously the difference between the two, um, knowing that the director, the director in each, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, shout out to Leah. I love her. Um, yeah, Leah. <laughs> right? The difference in that, how it was so open, 
right? In the women's center, like Ari said. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think I just avoided the Pride Center. Um, and I think it's because of that reason. I'm not going to lie. I think I avoided it because I felt like an outsider when I was there. Yeah. I don't think, not fully answering your question, but I think thinking back, you know, on that time, um, I can't really think of a better example on leadership and what that really means and how that impacts um, everybody around you and, you know, how real compassionate leadership, like what that creates in others because like being able to just like go bug Leia while she had like real work she was doing on her fucking three computer screens and she had like a psycho like I was like who works on three screens and she was like I need a fourth one I was like girl but like just like being but even just having that and just being like her really being like a you know kind of this motherly figure who really just wanted to help guide you in whatever way she could yeah and would stop whatever she was doing to talk to you and really hold that space with you like even if it's just like how's your day but like giving you her full attention yes and like what that really does to you as a person like to be able to be like wow like (laughs) this is someone even if we're not close like you still invest time in me expecting nothing in return and I think that's just yeah. such an important thing that everyone should get to experience because I think you know for me I right now I work with well not right now because schools are closed but before um, I was helping run we have like a, a club with teenagers and so I think you know knowing that especially when you're kind of in that identity forming age being like wow like the most impactful thing for me was having somebody who gave a shit when I spoke yeah. was the biggest thing. Yeah. And so I think that's like one of the greatest gifts that I think Leia gave me indirectly. And that I really appreciate looking back and like, wow, like that's super special. And you really don't get that very often. Right. Yeah. Especially from a white woman. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. You, you well, said it perfectly. Yeah. And, and that was actually going to be my answer. The leadership at the Pride Center um, was awful. And I never really understood, especially because they were literally next door, why it wasn't run by the same director. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I think, first of all, she she it does, is a queer woman, right? And so yes. she's exposed of both identities, but she's very welcoming like she I, she would never allow for anyone to go into the a pride center and have the first question be well what are you whose team are you yeah that would never be it and even the pride center hated when um folks that were allies would show up and so it's like i think her leadership would have done so much for the pride center and it would have yeah. a um co- a cohesive kind of um I don't know. It would have, I think it would have just made things so much easier. Um, yeah. One of the things that I think about is, for example, the queer women of color circle was at the women's center. It wasn't something mm-hmm. that's done by the pride center. And that's where I brought it first, I believe. <clears throat> and there was no interest. And so then came to the women's center and it's just, I mean, that just kind of shows something, right? Because it kind of, to me, it showed that there was no space for my queer identity, my, as a woman of color, um, because at that point it was like the Pride Center saying, we don't want to focus on that part. So, so we're not going to let you do this. But the women there was like, well, of course it's part of you because 
the idea of intersectionality was way more understood by Leia than obviously the other asshole whose name we're not going to mention. Wow. I didn't know. I didn't know that you had offered it to the pride center and that's why it was being done at the women's center. I really thought that was just like something, you know, like you said, in regards to intersectionality, everyone was like, Hey, why not? You know, we have the women of color talking circle. So why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was first because the thing was, we didn't want to step on anyone's toes. Right. And we were ready to women of color circle. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was never, it was like a never, um, well, what can I say? Let me put it this way. I kind of am very happy that it was never accepted there because I think it created a safer space at the women's center. And I think we got actually, um, pretty good turnout and pretty good, uh, we were, we have really good conversations that were very, very realistic. And so it was really nice. And I feel like if it had been at the Pride Center, that wouldn't have actually happened because the safe space wasn't there. You could feel that there was no safe space. Yeah. I think if I had to go back and change things or do stuff differently, mm-hmm. my number one would have been to cuss out the director of the Pride Center. <laughs> But like early on, right? Well, okay. So technically I had did it when we first fell out mm-hmm. and they tried to cry through it. And I was right. like, I was just kind of on some F you stuff for the rest of the years. See, as I talk to y'all, I feel like the Raven's coming back. But then I think when the day I got fired, since Leia had left, he had became my boss and you didn't even show up to fire me. Well, I think I deserved that you be cussed out. Absolutely. And I remember specifically like Ari, when she was working at the pride center, you and I were supposed to do um, trans day of remembrance and he shut that down. He would not give his half of the funding. Yes. I remember that. Still to this day, that just pisses me off. And so Ari and I decided to drive people in our own cars to Hillcrest Mm -hmm. (laughs) to a different event that could have been had on a campus that needed it. Mm -hmm. It's like you deserve to be cussed out on so many levels. And I remember uh, Ray Huhu, the day I made that cake was the first day he had ever said in that space where all three social justice centers met up. I feel like a black woman trapped in a gay white man's body mm. and I was the only black person and it felt like everything I said about being black was devalued by this white man mm-hmm. and, and I was like you deserve <laughs> you deserve an ass whooping you deserve to be cussed the fuck out <laughs> and I felt like I should have did it that last day and just unleashed it and then I think no I don't think I know I should have giving people their flowers while we were still there. Like we've all gone our different ways and we've all taken things from one another, but I don't think we really gave each other flowers while we were there. We did sometimes, but it's kind of like, now it's like, damn, I missed that part of that person or this person or that person. But when we were there, we just took it for, well, I took it for advantage. Like, okay. So be sarcastic every day. Okay, cool. Now I'm like, damn. I wish I had Sophie to just say one good thing. (laughs) I'm happy to be here now. So it was basically more than a job for us. I mean, that's how I, how I see it. I mean, in regards to leadership, if we're talking about that, like it seemed like it was just a job 
for certain people that we're not going to mention. And Mm -hmm. even though if we were students, like even like it was just, it was more than a job. Like Raven said, we spent more of our free time there, even when we weren't on the clock. (laughs) I liked it so much that I, as a volunteer, (laughs) my class was done at like two and I would go back to my dorm and walk up all those fucking stairs and come back a full two hours later to campus just because of the volunteer shift Leia gave me. Uh-huh. And I would do it. And I was like, okay, I'm doing it because I like this place yeah. and this lady. <laughs> I think that's the other part that's missing is like, if I could go back, I wish I would have fought for Leia more. Like, I didn't know that her pushing us to be outside the box and have all these events that like push different staff people or whatever. And like she was getting in trouble for things we were doing. Mm -hmm. I would have known it would have been a different story. I don't think it would have ended the way it did for Leia. If we all knew what she was actually under Like I didn't know having women's talking circle or queer women's talking circle was an issue. Right. Mm-hmm. But yet you want us to have a center that's focusing on an identity, an oppressed identity, but they can't have that space because men don't have a talking circle. Mm-hmm. So then right. we do have, to, then we created one. No one shows up except for the two men, one who worked there and one who volunteered. <laughs> well, Classic. Like, yeah. And I'm like, so how can you, like Leah was the best boss I've ever had. That's my mama L forever and always. And I wish if I knew I would have protected her the way she protected us. Mm-hmm. I think it was just, I mean, and personally, I think it was inexperienced. I don't think we knew the extent. And that's what I'm saying. If I knew everything I knew now and we went back, like shit would be different. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> like, I just don't understand how I can have an event about BDSM yeah. and have all these random people come. Like someone even shared they like to be peed on in public. Mm-hmm. That's okay. But if you have a women's talking circle, because boys were allowed, Raven, come on. I just, I just, boys get so sad if they can't do something. Yeah, that's real. Life is really hard for them. Or it's like, oh, you're hosting Take Back the Night. Are you going to invite the president? Why do I have to invite people to come to an event that supports survivors and victims of domestic violence? A literal, a literal public event. I'm like, that is, in fact, the point. Why? Yeah. That school is stupid. Love your body day. If someone wants to have <laughs> yes. a stripper pole, why is there an issue? Yeah, that, I think that's what I'm saying. I think it was just a huge, there was a problem in leadership in all, on all aspects. And it wasn't just, you know, the Pride Center. I think it was every everywhere. And shout out for Leia for handling gracefully because that, mm. Oh, gosh. And that gives us, no unfortunately, a reflection of the real world. Like, again, we were in this bubble thinking that everyone was on the same page and everyone would accept what we were doing or what we were talking about or the events we threw. And we got a taste of unfortunately what the world is like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know that. I don't think I knew that then, but now when we're talking about it, it, it makes a lot more sense. I think I knew it. I just thought I had a wonder woman complex. I felt like we were all wonder women. I don't like I like I felt like there was no consequences, and if there were, I didn't give a fuck. Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Like, I just did whatever I wanted to. I said whatever I wanted to. If you were offended, that's on you. You're uncomfortable. I'm made to feel uncomfortable every day by being a black woman. So deal with it for five fucking minutes. Mm. Yeah. But then it was like, I got in the real world and I don't have my bubble. I don't have people who understand me or agree with me or even to check me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it becomes like, I have to censor myself and I have to fit into this mold that I just can't do anymore. Yeah. Like going backwards. Yeah. Like it was just, I fought so hard to be a woman I got to be in college and then to go back and just little things, just, you know, you hear a comment and you know, you should say something, but it's that thought process of like, do I really want to go through this? Yeah. I know they're not going to get it. Like, let's just. Forget it. And you know why? I also think it's because when when someone would make a comment, for example, in the Women's Center, there was like five, six other people right behind you to be able yes. to say something and support. And I think that's where my fear comes as you're saying that that when we do when I do hear something, I think like, damn, I should put this person in, in their place right this second. But then I think, holy shit, I'm alone. What if all yeah. the other people that are in this room don't agree with me? You know, and it's that fear. So again, it's well, that environment. Just like like, do I risk my job by saying this? Yeah. Right. Do yeah. like, it becomes like, oh, dang, I need this money. I can't say that. Yep. Whatever. But at the women's center, I was like, I get paid minimum wage. <laughs> I don't care. I don't do this for the check anyway. Let me take you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they would check me in my one-on-ones or my staff meetings and I didn't care. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, yeah, that's, that's very um, true for me too. Like I came out of this bubble and it just kind of put me in a place where I felt lost. Like, well, what does that mean for me now? Like, who am I? Do mm-hmm. I keep this identity? And it was a place where you were allowed to, to share your voice and you didn't necessarily have to be, well, not necessarily, you never had to be nice about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the one space that I've found where, as a woman of color, I did have a voice. And it just, once that ended, it just kind of felt like, well, that space is nowhere, yeah. right? So it's, and then coming here to the East Coast, it felt even more so. It was a culture shock. It's like a very different experience where people don't really care about one another. They're very self-centered. So it just kind of came this whole thing of like, well, I, I can't, I, this isn't a space for me to, to have a voice. Um, like you said, Rihanna, without it being like, oh shit, what if no one else backs me up? Yeah. And I've, and I've done it still. I've, I've still done it. I've still gone off on people and, you know, and I've almost gotten into fights with people, but it's That's like, amazing. you know, it's sometimes you really just kind of have to pay your battles and it really sucks because I want everything to be my battle, Yeah, but I have decide where um I'm willing to risk yeah yeah I've had moments especially like Raven said at work um when I was in the office of course but I would hear things and I'd be looking around for someone to look at me with the same expression (laughs) right yeah like shock or how the hell did that person just say that and I wouldn't get it you know and that's how I knew like it was a fear and that might you know of course that's my own personal battle to, to build that confidence again. I was, it's always a fear of shit. If I say something right now, 
I'm going to be outcasted. I'm going to be right. the one that no one's going to want to you know, talk about anything to, right? But then I think, damn, what if everyone else was afraid too? You know, what if there were several people in there? And so I beat myself up about it that why didn't I speak up? Like maybe if I did speak up, someone would be like, oh shit, okay, I'm not alone. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me say something too. So that's how, you know, I have that, that struggle all the time that am I silencing myself and then the consequence because I'm not being that voice of silencing others too? Or really, do we live in such a shitty society that if I say something, everyone's going to look at me like, who's this dumbass? Right. So, yeah, I, one of, yeah. So one of the, um, I work at, I work in a nonprofit, right. With, with, uh, victims of domestic and sexual violence. So you would think it's more of a pro-female, pro-women kind of place, but it's not. Um, And that was the other thing that coming out of the Women's Center where there was that space and it was very reflective and actually did what the mission said it would do. Mm -hmm. And then coming to, to this reality of like, well, now I work not only in a nonprofit that's not really like pro-women as it claims to be, but I also work in the criminal justice system in the courthouse where Mm -hmm. it's just male-dominated, white male-dominated. I'm working with judges who are still asking um, victims, well, why didn't you call the police? Well, why Mm did you wait? Like, that's still very frustrating. And there's been moments where I'm like, well, do I say something? Do I not? And for that same reason, right? And I remember, though, one of my old co-workers, um, she said something to me once, and I always uh, think about that when I'm trying to decide whether or not I'm going to say something. She said to me, you know, I've always been scared to say anything because she said, she said, as a bigger black woman, I feel like I always have to um, silence myself and I can't really speak up because then I, I take up too much space. Mm-hmm. And she was like, but in that meeting that we just had, you just went off on them. You didn't give a shit. You didn't care that it was management. You just, you just went off. And I was like, all right. And she was like, and that's why I was able to speak up. And so it just kind of made me realize like, well, maybe it is worth speaking up, even if no one really else will do it, because maybe at that moment it can uplift another person. And if I can uplift another woman, I mean, that's the most beautiful thing that can happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. yeah, it just kind of made me, it's something that I always think about and I try to go back to um, so that I'm not having to pick my battle so that I'm trying to do it every time, but it is hard. It, you know, sometimes you're just tired. Sometimes you just don't want to get killed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. That's, that was perfectly said. Yeah. Yeah. I think that part of that is why I'm so glad to have found social work because it is an environment where even though my boss is like, um, you know, I'd say, yeah, I don't feel like upper middle class means anything, but she's, I mean, she's a wealthy white woman. Her husband, um, does like arbitration work. So makes, they make very good money. And, but even so, you know, she's a social worker, so she's very, um, you know, uh, open to being checked on her white privilege and various other privileges. And so I'm really lucky that, you know, I work around someone who, if she says some dumb shit, I could be like, are we hearing it? Do you hear what you're saying? And like, so like, for example, we have, um, 
this like yearly fundraiser and it's just kind of all these wealthy white people in our community who are very nice of course but she was like um you know we were trying to get funding for my position for my salary and she goes uh do you want to stand on the stage while we do the live auction for people to donate Uh to your (laughs) to your uh, for your fund and I was like no. gosh it just sounds like a little auction blocky to me and I'm gonna say no oh my god I was like it just sounds like a little slavery-ish to me and I'm not super into it and she was like okay that's what I thought but I wanted to double check so I just thought I'd ask I was like no yeah like, well, you read the room correctly the first time that's very much uh and then like Another time she was like, oh my gosh, have you seen Get Out? And I was like, uh, no, I just live around a lot of white people. So I think uh, I'm good. And she was like, that's fair. And then like walked away. So it's like, I'm, ve- I'm very glad that I'm in a work environment where I can say those kinds of things. And yeah. she rolls with it. Um, oh my and it's so, you know, for me, it's nice that I can kind of get those things out as they happen. Um, because I, I, for me personally, as somebody who... Uh, as you all have said, kind of lives off of sarcastic comments. I don't know how, I don't think I would do very well in an environment where that was frowned upon. <laughs> oh, no, you would have un- I would be unemployed currently because oh, I have yeah. said some things. <laughs> that was so I think, I so, so yes, one of the things you were saying is like having um, white bosses, right, that, that try. So, yeah. It's kind of interesting because when you are in the social world, social uh, work world, including like non um, domestic and sexual violence, yes, work, we know that it's primarily women, and so it's interesting because there's been you see this, you see it happening, the white guilt, right? Mm-hmm. So if you do call someone out on it, you don't necessarily want to be like you're wrong because they understand that as a white woman they can't. So then you see the defensiveness, but then they kind of. And I think it's why I've been able to get away with so many things because sometimes um, they'll they'll say certain things that are very blind to the race, and they'll say, "What what are you talking about? That was very racist for you to say." And then you know I go off on them, and at the end, it's like, "Oh, okay, like thank you." Versus we're gonna fire you now, but it's mm-hmm. that that I think is what's been keeping me at my job, and I haven't lost it, as you said, Sophie. Right? But yeah. I don't know. I feel like at some point, as leadership changes, that might not be something that's common. I think nowadays, how can I say? I think nowadays, white feminism, liberal feminism is seen as good. Yeah. Feminism. And so I think like folks are going to start being like, you know, but I'm good because I'm a good feminist so i don't really have to check myself on all of this right and anyway yeah you know growing up is weird it's very hard it's um you know especially going into working environments i think there's no really any preparation for what that actually looks like because it's not like school in any way shape or form and i think we're really done a disservice in that sense because um, there's there's no way to know until you're in that environment where you're like oh this is fucking weird like who did this uh you know and like like i remember i uh between undergrad and grad school i worked at uh, a color me mine mm-hmm. and uh i was being trained by this 
uh, white girl. Uh, her name was Sarah, and she I she was telling me something about how how to open the store, and was like saying some detail, blah blah blah, um, and then mentioned the owners, and she was like, "Yeah, um, Iranians don't know how to run a business." <laughs> And I just like looked at her and I was like, are you clocking that I'm brown? Because I am super not going to be in this with you. Like this is not, I'm not your person. I have the wrong complexion to do this with you. And I was just like, "Uh uh-huh. And then she just like kept talking and I was just, but I was just like so taken aback. And I was like, girl, are you, but I think there's like a certain, especially she was a, a few years younger than me. But I think there's this weird, like, colorblindness almost mm. um, with uh, kind of, I guess, uh, tail end millennials beginning of Gen Z where yeah. it's this strange, like, you know, uh, we can be in solidarity and being, like, racist against the same group. Yeah. And I'm like, God, I just really am not into this. Well, I would like you to feel shame about what you're saying to me because I don't like it. That just answered one of the questions I was just going to pose about, like, do you all think that with this next generation, <laughs> if you would have a difference in regards to, like, leadership, right? You know, they're saying, like, the, the boomers are, you know, starting to retire. They're all leaving and it's this next generation. But that clearly just answered my question. So, But it's just like, you know, those are the things that, like, those things get passed down and it's yeah. so naive think that those things disappear like that they die off when this was the way the world has been for at least a few thousand years you know what i mean so it's just it's so silly to me when those kinds of uh things get suggested like oh well things are looking up and it's like are they you know i mean gen z trends more conservative than millennials in a strange way they identify more with their parents politics than millennials or any previous generation ever has I guess, um, I guess what, I'm, what I'm saying is like more so that a lot of women of color or people of color, I should say, are beginning to um, achieve these, you know, leadership positions or, you know, the first generations that are able to become success, quote unquote, successful, right? In the terms mm-hmm. of what Americans think. But do you think that that makes a difference at all? Do you think that more representation in those leadership roles or, you know, these field these fields that are predominantly white are going to make a difference no mm. i think you know what you think of is you remember when jamela applied yeah. to the center yeah i remember she walked in and then she walked out and then i forgot who spotted her but they brought her back in and she dropped off her application when she got hired she said well there was no way i I was going to get hired. And Leah asked her why. She said, well, I saw Raven. That's one black person. You don't need to. And I was like, that's so true. Like, even to this day, if I were to apply somewhere, I like, if I see one black person, I'm like, no, it's not about to work. I'm not about to quota met. And I think that's just like, part of why I'm like entrepreneurial spirit because it's like I know that most places if there's a person of color I feel like I the itch is out right unless it's a person of color who owns it and is open to having more people of color work there it's like cool but if not it's like let me just do it on my own mm-hmm. yeah and it's like it's just weird to me like do y'all go to the the women's marches they do every year I went to the first two I went to one last year in San Diego. 
I went to the first one. See, I didn't. One, it was safety reasons. Like I just, I just, I just couldn't. And then two, it was like, what? For me, it was like, what are we marching for? And for me, everyone was like, because Trump is in office. Yeah. But I, women of color didn't vote this fool into office. No. Right? So why am I marching? I, I I went with my job, and I was two, one of two, no, one of three women of color. The rest were all white women. And I remember looking around thinking like, damn, <laughs> that's all I remember is just, wow, like I'm the only one marching for, like what it seemed as though I'm the only one marching for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember they did an interview too, you know, for the sake of the company asking like, why are you marching? And I made damn sure that I said why. Right. And yeah. I put my identity forward because I knew that within this company, even though predominantly women, predominantly women, I still knew that I was a very small percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that made me super sad. You know, I went with such excitement and that feeling again, searching for, you know, like, oh, yay, finally something, right? Something close to what we had. And it wasn't anywhere near what I needed, sadly. Yeah. But I just felt like marching. I was like, am I marching for me or for white feminism? Because at the end of the day, white feminism still doesn't care about me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think back to kind of your original question, I think why I answered so quickly was because, you know, knowing the fact that, you know, even in kind of the grand scheme of things, yes, like people of color are quote unquote more successful and kind of this like classic, yeah. you know, white patriarchal capitalist ideal. Yeah. Um, but that the people that do make it, that do become the exception to the rule mm-hmm. are people who have kind of a lot, like a lot of what we've talked about here have shaped themselves into a version mm. that doesn't speak up unless they have to, mm. um, who picks their battles, who maybe distances themselves from their community because it's easier. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, super important to note to their context because you know that is how they see being successful and it's not necessarily about being community minded and so you know and I think even if you do go in with the intention of that you know I think as people go on and go up those intentions get just broken down because how could they not you know how could you not get blinded by the fact of wanting to keep yourself and your family in a comfortable position over, you know, uh, challenging the status quo to bring up more people when it means you could go down kind of thing. Um, and so I think that's, for me, that's something, uh, to really like reckon with. Cause I remember like being like, I think I was 13 or 14 and I was hanging out with my aunt and a couple of her friends and the friend's husband, he was, um, they were Mexican family and he was like a pilot in the like the Marines or some shit. I don't even know. He was very successful. He had a very long career. But I just remember we were sitting down talking and he was telling me, it was like one of those whole like, there's crabs in a barrel and one crab crawls up and then gets pulled back in by the other crabs. <laughs> and, you know, it took me so long to realize he was telling me to distance myself from other Mexicans. Wow. And it took me so long to understand that that's what he did. 
And that even though he was this brown man who had a brown wife and brown kids and spoke Spanish and lived in a neighborhood around brown people and claimed to be proud of being brown, his mentality at the end of the day was, in order to make it out of the barrel, I have to do it by myself. And I hate that. And I hate that that is something that people feel that they have to contend with in order to be successful. And I would never want to be that person. And so like me personally, I hate working. I hate having a career. If I could not do it, I would fucking bail out immediately. I fucking hate it. I hate everything about work. So this quarantine's pretty good for me. Um, but like, you know, and it's, it, but it, it's because so much of it is about, you know, your own personal success. And that does not mean anything to me that that's just not something that motivates me in any way shape or form like i i make enough to live comfortably i float by i don't need all these extra bells and whistles Mm -hmm. but i think so many people do because it's really easy obviously being raised in this society especially now it's so easy to get distracted by those things Yeah. yeah and i just think that's you know such a big factor and so i don't know i just think that's something that is going to keep people of color from advancing in the way that we would like to a lot of times, because we do get sucked into these power structures that have existed for hundreds of years and that we've been subjected to. And I think it's really hard, you know, like, you know, the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house kind of thing. And it's just, you know, I don't know how we can really move forward as a community of people of color if we can't imagine a world past what white people have shown us. Oh yeah. Hmm. Well, know, yeah. Still- wow. Yeah. That was perfectly said, Sophie. That's- that was my very long winded way of saying that. But anyway, oh, that, that sto- crab story with the barrel, I was like, what the fuck is this dude talking about? Cause I was literally 13. Yeah. And then a few years later, I was like, that was fucked up. Yeah. Like, that's so weird. What a weird thing to tell a child. What weird advice for an eighth grader. But, like, you know, it was so sad. That's very sad. And I I see that in in our own community. And I'm saying this in regards to, like, the Afghan community. I don't know necessarily about the Muslim community, but the Afghan community, all they have that mentality, too, that Afghans will just keep you down. Like, keep all your, you know, ambitious dreams and your plans to yourself. Because yeah, someone's gonna drag you down, you know. Which is so sad because no one supports like those communities do. Exactly. Like if you really have a community of color support, yeah, you there's nothing you could not accomplish. Exactly. You're golden, exactly. Yeah. 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 Wait, Sophie, I like how you said that that was a fucked up conversation to have with the eighth grader. But if you like, for me, I feel like my whole life was trained to. Like, it wasn't those direct words, but that's what my training has always been like. Absolutely. I think a lot of us get that training. Yeah, it's like, you know, when you're little, like, I I lived in the hood, but I went to school my entire life in a really wealthy area. And I remember, like, kindergarten, like, the speech of, like, oh, you got to have your switch. And I'm like, what's a switch? And it's like, you know, when you go to school, you can't say, you know, the, you know, can't use the same language you use at home. Right. Cool. And then at school, it's like they think it's cool to say words that I would say at home just because right. whatever. But yeah. then as I got older, it became really hard because then you go back to the hood and everyone's like, why you sound so white? Mm-hmm. 
school. It's like, oh, you're so black, you know. I'm like, ask the dumbest questions. Are there bars on your windows? Like the whole thing. But at the same time, everyone in my family is like, you got to learn to play their game so that you can advance. Right. Yeah. But I think as it's like knowing that my black my blackness will never get me to be like successful. But if I'm black with a touch of white or mostly white out in public, I'm fine. Yeah. I think it's so important to be able to say that's fucked up. Like the fact that he had that conversation with me is fucked up. The fact that we've had conversations growing up about code switching, like that is in all of that is inherently fucked up. And I think it's like so important to say that because I think we get gaslit by in and outside the community about how well this is just how it is and blah blah and it's like okay just because this is the way that i need to be socialized in the world to survive it doesn't mean it's not fucked up Mm. like that doesn't mean it's normal like just because you know people of color kids of color have to sit down and get talks about how you act when you're out with your white friends so you don't get arrested and or killed you know that's fucked I up. I want to be kids of color. Like, I just, it fucked me. I, I don't know. Like, I remember my brother having his, his baby, and he said, I need to have, my child has to have a name that they will think is white, so when she applies for college, she will get accepted. Yeah. And then I go back to thinking, in high school, there was a girl, and I never saw her, but everyone was like, oh my God, there's a Keisha going to our school. And I said, Keisha? So, of course, I'm looking for a black Keisha. Mm-hmm. Keisha white. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, that's acceptable. But then my brother's over here stressing, like, what's a white enough name for my daughter to get accepted in college? Right. Yeah. So I'm like, why am I trying so hard to be, like, acceptable when mm-hmm. y'all just want to be Keisha and y'all want to be whoever? Y'all want to, like, it's just annoying. Absolutely. But then at the same time, we still have to train our kids. Like, you know, you got to have some act right when you go into the store. Don't embarrass me. Don't embarrass the family. You know, when you go out with your white friends, make sure you don't say this. Say this. What, like, I, I, it was too much. Yeah. It's way Absolutely. too much. And then I still have to do schoolwork. So it's like my load is doubling just so I can go to this stupid school. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure for a kid. I know from a little bit from my um from I guess my experience it it wasn't the one that sticks out to me isn't necessarily uh the education or any of that but the one that really sticks out to me is when I was young my mom pulled me aside and said to me you have to marry a white man mm-hmm. nothing and it was like I must have been like six or seven when that's she, and it's and it's something that's always stuck in my head. And I was like, at that point, I wasn't even thinking about marriage. At that point, I didn't even know my own sexuality. Mm-hmm. I remember though how it affected me through definitely through high school because um, I kept saying, well, if I ever do. <clears throat> start dating it can't it has to be a white dude and I, it's definitely not anyone I'm attracted to mm-hmm. so it's difficult and so it's and it, it wasn't only like it has to be a black a white dude it was it cannot for the love of god be a black man okay it, has, it was both it either had to be a white man or 
a Latino or anyone else, as long as it isn't a black man. Mm, yeah. So talk about like whitening your culture, right? Because it's, right. it's, well, I'm Mexican and it's like bringing in a white person will just whiten that part of our family. Whereas if I end up having a black partner, then that's, you're just going backwards. You're not right. going and so that's very, it's so heartbreaking mm-hmm. uh, because it's like, how are we having, like, how are we having those conversations with kids, you know? And it's, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's the wider you get, the better your family is going to be able to achieve all of this. Yeah. And with like my citizenship, I was, it was something that, it was very difficult for me to decide whether or not I wanted to be a naturalized citizen. Um, but I was pushed for it, right, with my family because it's it's the, the white path. It's the, I mean, I'm very privileged. I'm very happy that I was able to do this and I even had that path. Um, but it, to an extent, it's giving up an identity that you right. have. Um, so it's very difficult sometimes. Life is weird and fucked up. <laughs> No one tells you that. No one tells you that. No one tells you that. No, they don't. They fucking lie to you yep. your whole life. Yep. And then it's like, dude. And then you're like, I don't know which way is up. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, I feel like that every day. It's normal. Then you'll die. And you're like, oh, cool. So, I think you should write a children's book so kids know from the get go. Oh my gosh, these poor assholes just running around like everything's great. <laughs> Little do they know yeah. their 20s are coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's real unbelievable yeah garbage well but we're alive we are for now yeah till COVID-19 gets us <laughs> oh my god Sophie <laughs> well it's coming oh, for us god. 56% of Americans are projected to get it oh gosh so reflections from the dub seat during COVID this is what led us here Love a, love a quarantine That's motivation. the real reason. No. The real reason is we're quarantined and we have nothing else to do. For real, we have time. No, but I did miss this and it's definitely needed. And I'm, my mind is, is going a million miles a minute right now processing everything because it's like an, a, a new door opened, you know, I, I mean, maybe it was a past door open, but yeah. It, I'll say the right door opened for me. The right door. Yeah. It's a little shitty, but it's it's a good it's a good shitty. I don't know if that exists, but, but it's or, yeah, it does. But I'm <laughs> so happy at the same time. Yeah. For me, it opened a cupboard like Harry Potter. It opened what? <laughs> the cupboard under the stairs. Oh. Love that. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Well, I think well this was fun, good. y'all. Any last thoughts? Uh, your 20s are weird. Yeah. And college is weird. But you make friends and you get through it. And then you lose those friends and have to make a podcast. But you, Yeah, but you make a podcast together and you bring it back. You didn't lose Come full circle. far from them. We all you, played are- a, you played a game of hide and seek for a few years. Yeah. And then you found each other. All y'all yaks and free. <laughs> And now we're doing a podcast. It's great. Good times. It is. It's it's great, though, because I think we have four great perspectives on what we saw 
while we were at the Dubsy and also just with life now. And I think that's so helpful. Um, and I think, I hope that if, you know, we do, you know, keep doing this and people start listening, I hope that it, it helps or at least, I hope it's not a downer, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> people are going to think like, oh shit, once you leave college, like everything's terrible. No, but I hope it opens their eyes to. I mean, like Oops. a lot of things are terrible, but that's going to happen no matter what. Yeah. Like to lessen expectation, I guess. And it's not going to always be great out in the world and to just be prepared. Sophie, I feel like you should drop some words of wisdom so we can close this. Oh, I can't when you put pressure on it like that. I My mean, brain has frozen. I mean, she said your 20s are shitty. I think that's as, <laughs> as good as it gets. This whole time, Sophie, just hit us with one more gem. Oh, man. I don't know if I've got it in me, Raven. You got this. <laughs> Give me some ideas. What are you looking for? We can edit this part out. What do you, what do you, give me a gem about what? About life. About life? Yeah. yeah. Oh, Lord. About life. Uh, no, that's way too vague. How about just about what we just discussed? You guys are really putting me on the spot here. You ladies are really putting me on the spot here. <laughs> Oh, that's the other thing is like um, language. Oh my God. <laughs> Next time. Don't do this. Okay. Okay. Next time. Okay. Save it. Write it down on your little notepad. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh yeah. Keep a notepad. That's good life advice. Have a notepad on hand. You never know when you're going to need to remember something. Yeah. You're going to lose your memory. The moment you tell yourself you will remember it, you've already lost. So write it down. For real. That's it. Yeah. Always write Actually, it down. Life advice. Yeah. You're never going to, you're never going to remember what you thought you were. Write it down. Thank you. That's it. You're welcome. Well, this right. was fun, ladies. Yes. Thank you. It was very much yeah. needed.